All right, my friends, before we get into today's Live Inspired podcast, something cool that is happening more frequently going forward is that as I prepare to share my story on stages, I'm not known to that audience as a speaker, and I'm not known usually to that audience as an author. Instead, a whole lot of the ladies and gentlemen in the room are already following me and our work through the Live Inspired podcast. They're listening, in other words, to this voice right now through their own channels. Very cool. We've had more than a million downloads, as you know. It's a top 20 iTunes show, as you may know, which is very cool. But it also means that a whole lot of ladies and gentlemen are unaware of my number one national best-selling book. It's where I encapsulate in so many regards, the best of our story. It's called On Fire. It's a worthy read. It's been celebrated by Brene Brown and Dave Ramsey, Joe Buck, a whole lot of other luminaries who have talked about the impact of this book and their lives. It also has received more than 1,500 five-star reviews online that has very little to do with this guy's voice or the man who wrote it and everything to do with the reader with the impact in the reader's life and ultimately what it does for us professionally, what it does for us relationally, spiritually, relationally, and in every aspect of our life that actually matters. It's called On Fire. It is available. But rather than sending you to your nearby bookstore today, what I'm encouraging you to do right now is to let your fingers do the walk and come on over to johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. This is a gift. I want you to be able to check out the first two chapters of On Fire. So come on over to visit me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. And if you want to share this story, share this book with your friends, with your family, with your clients or contacts this holiday season, awesome. I think with all the divisions going on around us in our community, with all the reasons for fear and trepidation and anxiety and and nervousness looking forward, why not share a message about love and hope and faith and possibility and the truth that the best is yet to come? You can learn more at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash free. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, thank you, Joe. And hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. This is a a podcast we are actually recording live today with my new friend, Kaylin Ellsbury. You know, I, uh, as a young boy, many of our listeners know this, but was burned tragically, had a whole lot of amazing people come into my life, but one of them was a fellow named Jack Buck. Jack Buck was a world-class announcer, maybe even a better human being, had a massive impact on my life, served me beautifully, made a difference in our community, but his favorite charity, by far, by far his favorite charity, was cystic fibrosis. And you don't meet a whole lot of people who have been affected by cystic fibrosis or CF as it's more commonly known for those of us uh, in that space. Well, Jack loved them and Jack shared that love with me. And so now I have that same passion. So you can imagine my surprise today while speaking at an entrepreneur's organization meeting, business owners all around. I speak, I share my heart, I share my story, hand the mic to the next speaker and realize very quickly, quickly that this amazing presenter has cystic fibrosis herself. 
Kaylin has come to share that story with us today. It's a remarkable story. It's an incredible gift that she has. It's called life. And she'll be sharing that life with you today. So I ask you right now to open up your minds and your hearts, your journals, take notes at home, and uh, get ready to be inspired as we bring in our newest friend, Kaylin Ellsbury. Kaylin, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. This is fantastic. I've I've been a fan of yours for a while, and I'm glad that we can finally meet up and do this. Well, we are doing this. Childhood dreams all together. I had the pleasure of hearing you speak, and you you shared with me you've only been doing this for a year. So some of our (laughs) listeners may not yet be familiar with the name Kaylin. Tell us, for those who don't know, what you're doing today professionally. Yeah, I mean, I am beyond blessed that... So I still spend about a third of my life in the hospitals. My last hospitalization was in May, and it was six weeks. And uh, I'm super blessed that when I'm out, I get to write books and articles, and then I essentially travel all over speaking and working with corporations and helping employees find happiness in their why, so that way the team works better together. And then I get to go to events like this, meet people like you, and work with all (laughs) kinds of different people and just speak about what it's like to overcome adversity and how to find true lasting happiness and fulfillment. That's awesome. And you do it well. And you know, we're using this term cystic fibrosis, and I would imagine some folks have heard of it. Others may not have even heard of it, and most don't really know what it is. So why don't we begin telling your story by first explaining what CF is? Yeah, so cystic fibrosis is a genetic condition, so that means people are born with it. It is not contagious, but I say that because it fills our lungs with a thick, sticky, infected mucus, and that mucus is easily prone to infection. So what happens is an infection hits your your lungs, and it can come from things like plants, right, like soil. And once it hits your lungs, you're then hospitalized. And most people, it's a chronic hospitalization, maybe one to two times a year, and you slowly suffocate to death. And because it is a mucosal disease, it also affects things like your pancreas. Mm. So a lot of patients wind up not having a working pancreas, they need to take medication to digest food, and the years of malnutrition can cause diabetes. So it's a very, it's, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. It starts right. as CF, but it, it never ends as just CF. There's always so much more to it. When did you first realize that not every person had CF and that you were very different than, than the majority of the world? Wow, that was a beautiful question. And it reminds me of, so I'm in kindergarten, right? And all of the kids for gym, they, for PE, we had to run a mile around the perimeter of the fence of the elementary school. And all the kids were so excited to do it. And then like, it's my turn and I'm scared because I knew that I did not have the lung function to run that mile, Mm. at least at the same pace as all the other kids because I have to stop and take cough breaks. And it's one thing to just cough randomly in class, but it's another thing to dry heave and do the gross stuff in front of your peers. And so I I snuck off um, and I called the, the nurse and I was like, let me call my mom so I can get out of this exercise. Like, I don't wanna do it. And my mom very quickly goes, your life is not going to be like the other kids. You don't have to exercise. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But if you do not exercise, you will die. I'm kindergarten. Like, I don't, that's, that's some heavy stuff, mom. Knock it off. Um, so sure enough, I, I coughed through the, the mile. And it was miserable. And I knew that my life would never be the same. What kind of treatments in kindergarten were you going through to have the normal safe life that at least you had at that point? Yep, so same things that I'm doing now. It's uh, you wear a vest and it basically looks like a cardigan that inf- that yeah. fills up with air and it shakes you to get you to cough so that way you can get the infected mucus out. I do about a nebulizer in the morning. Um, well, there's three sets of nebulizers. So Tell I'll me what a nebulizer is. 
Nebulizer, thank you. A nebulizer is essentially a device that you breathe into that puts some type of, whether it's an opening mechanism to open your lungs up so you can breathe or an antibiotic so that way it gets rid of an infection. And it's just like a tube you breathe through. So think like a CPAP machine that's portable, mm -hmm. more portable and easier to use. Um, hour every morning, hour every evening. And then because our pancreases don't work, a lot of us either have feeding tubes or we take pancreatic enzymes, so usually six to seven with every meal. Right. And then, of course, diabetes, so you've got the, the insulin injections and managing that. And then all the, the weird stuff, you know, like hypothyroidism happens, so you've got your synthroid. Like the stuff that doesn't, it's super easy to deal with, so you kind of forget about it. But the treatments, one day, it's about three hours a day, every day. Wow. So it's a substantial amount of time. When you're going through a treatment in kindergarten, and it's three hours. Everybody else is playing Barbies outside or climbing trees or going on the field trip. And you're in some vest and going through treatment that I can't really even imagine. What's getting you through those days as, well, a, as a little all, one? Well, I took my Barbies up the tree. That was um, smart. That was smart <laughs> Hopefully you brought them back down. But. Well, some of them. Maybe their heads are missing. Um, <laughs> I was a really weird kid. And, uh, yeah, what really got me through is I didn't – I knew I was different. But, like, I come from a very strict dad. Um, he was in the military. He's a vice president of sales. And so he kind of morphed me to realize it's always going to be different and it's always going to be tough, but get over it. Right. You know, and he used to always say he's, he's a bigger guy. Um, and he used to say, so what? I'm fat. That's my handicap. You know, and, like, he could choose to lose the weight. That's not the point. But the point is, is, like, we're all going to have something. And so if that's what we think is going to limit us, then right. it will limit us. Mm. I'm going to speed up the tape just a little bit. You're, you're 17. You're out of kindergarten. You've hopefully put the Barbies back up in the tree or back in the toy box. <laughs> you're getting ready for prom. Yeah. Uh, mm. Life is good, man. You're a beautiful young lady, and you've got a senior knocking on the door. I got a senior. Hot, man. Take us, take us forward from that moment. What, what happens next? <laughs> I get hospitalized. So I was diagnosed with diabetes after a coma um, a couple of years earlier, and when that happens, your lung function can't sustain itself because, you know, malnutrition, the food stuff. So I get hospitalized. And all my friends, they were texting that day. They were, they were picking out their prom dresses. And they were going over the different colors and the different types of cuts they want. And I was, John, I was pissed off. Sorry, podcast listeners, but I was. Mom, uh, just fast forward through that last bit of tape. <laughs> Jeez, Kaylin. Get your stuff together. So, and I was so angry. And the reason I was angry is because my decision that day wasn't what prom dress I wanted to wear. It was, did I want my anti-nausea meds with breakfast or lunch? And it just wasn't fair that that was the situation my life was in. So fast forwarding that, my mom tells me I can have a big pity party. I can do whatever I want. I can act like a spoiled little brat at 17. Mm. Um, I can be entitled. You know, if I want to cry about it, I can cry. I can rip out my IV lines, whatever I want to do. But I had half hour to do it. And the second that half hour was up, she walks into my room with my wheelchair and she puts me in it and she goes, we're going to, of all places, the burn unit. Mm. And that was a paradigm shift for me because you see people who have lost most of their bodies to fire and you hear about some of the unimaginable tragedies they went through. And some people were just happy about it. You know, they weren't happy that it happened, but they found happiness mm -hmm. within it. And it was just that paradigm shift of like, I have CF, but I can still be happy and I can control. I can't control what's happening inside my body, but I control things and my mind the same way I pick out clothes every day of how I want to see and perceive the things happening that I can't. Mm. 
Was that as transformative for you as it sounds like it was looking back on it? Did, it, did that oh, begin yeah. changing the tra- trajectory of how you handled CF? Yeah. And I think I always, you know, I handled it well because there's no option in my household, you know. My dad taught me, you know, prior proper planning without, or yeah, without that creates piss poor performance. And he would always say these things that there was no, there was love, but it was the toughest love. Right. And there wasn't a, a, a situation where you could be comfortable with having excuses. But that, that moment when I saw there was a, a woman there and I, you know, I, I explained a little bit about it in my speech, but the tragedy she went through was unimaginable to me. Mm. And although I always knew I'd have no excuses, that was when I realized I could choose if I wanted excuses. Yes. That was the defining yeah. And that story you shared, and you know, in the burn community, it's unbelievable. But very frequently, um, it's at the hands of someone else that we end up burned. Yeah. And it's the most brutal thing that you could ever do to yourself or to anybody else. And you shared that a little bit of that story, and uh, yeah, shocking. And then you come face to face with her. Mm-hmm. For those that are still kind of unfamiliar with 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 cystic fibrosis, is long term. What's the prognosis? What what happens? Yeah, so there's great treatments out there. So if you Google it, you're going to be like, CF is cured, but um, it's not. So the people writing those articles need to stop because we are still losing people before 25 years old. I have a great friend. Most people know of her. Her name's Claire Wineland. She died after a double lung transplant. A week later, has a random stroke because her lungs can't carry the transplant. And she died literally two weeks ago. Mm. And I believe she was 21. So it is not a disease for older people yet. I am one of the oldest, I am one of the fittest with my mutation. There's 1,800 mutations. Um, so you'll, you will hear the stories about, you know, oh, there's 70. And although they are 70, the, the different mutations, it's still not a disease where there's a cure. And right. even more so, we get zero government grants. Um, so we are the number one genetic killer, and we're getting zero government grants to further research. And so we're at this, this pivotal point where I think the median age is 24. Um, Yeah, I think the median age is 24. And essentially, you just suffocate to death on your own mucus until all your organs fail. So it's a very slow death. You know, you say that very matter-of-factly, and I guess that's how you have to uh, internalize it and deal with it. When you hear that, though, or when you read about it, or you you see online that your 21-year-old friend has now passed, Mm -hmm. what do you do with that? What do you do do knowing that your lungs are slowly filling and the end is... It's upon, it, it's in the distance, but it's moving toward us closer every day. Yeah. And I mean, I've been through antibiotic resistance. So there's five types of antibiotics right now that treat my lungs, and I'm allergic to three of them. Right. So now we're in the toys of like, which medicine do we choose? And what's interesting is I forget how harsh the disease is. You know, just like I explained it very man- man- matter of factly. And it's just because like you can compartmentalize it. Because although these are the statistics, and although this is what's happening, and although I know my life is headed on the transplant route. Um, and then maybe I survive the transplant. Maybe I have a heart attack. That we don't know. But I know that I can control the moment and how I feel about the moment. Mm. And, you know, in my speech, I mentioned, you know, like, if I die at the next hospitalization, like, don't get me wrong, I want to live. Life is great. But I'm having the fullest, happiest life. I am happier and I've had more enriching experiences than most people who are seniors. Yes. And I've come to terms with it. When you come to terms with it, then you just come to terms with what you can do in that moment. Well, you also mentioned something to the effect of, we all know that we could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Every single one of us. But then you said, 
the only difference between that truth in your life and, and the truth that I live each day in mine is uh, tomorrow for me just may not even come. The, yeah. Like the bus may not even have the opportunity to get me. Oh, that's pretty brilliant. Never thought of it like that, but yeah. Well, you, I'm quoting back the, the brilliance to the yeah. one who shared it. So that those yeah. are your own words. <laughs> but you weren't always doing the work that you're doing today. At no. 25, I think, you were working for someone else. You were making money for someone else. You were kind of essentially living someone else's life. 100%. Uh, somewhat unhealthy, not only because of cystic fibrosis, but specifically life choices, life choices right? What you're putting into your body, how little you're sleeping, how fast you're running. What changed? I mean, 37% lung function, being told that we need to go down the transplant list. And um, I lost everything. And I, I literally, I remember the way that the doctor walks out, the nurse walks in, she's got a social worker with her. And they hand me the stack to file for disability, social security disability services. And she goes... It's about that time you've had a good run. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly I'm disabled. And, you know, it takes months to go through the paperwork. And I did. I was on um, Social Security Disability. And I found meaning in my life. I became a Zumba instructor. I was fired all the time because I couldn't get through my own class. But I could get hired. And uh, I became a personal trainer. And I realized that, like, if this is the end, this is the end. But I'm at least going to go out fighting. Right. And I, I did a road trip to see my friends and family. I made the end-of-life arrangements. And then <laughs> I lived. And this is six years ago? This is a couple years ago, yeah. This is at least four and a half, I think, four and a half, five years ago. Um, and then I lived. <laughs> and now you're like, okay, I- I'm still living. I haven't died. Right. I'm getting better. Let's make the most of it. This is really cool. We got our second chance. Right. And you, of all people, know how powerful that second chance is and the, the, the feelings and attitude that comes out of that. The... The second chance, are you aware of that every day you wake up? Every day, yeah. What would you say to the majority of us, myself included, that wake up, the sun comes up, coffee's poured, we start our day, and we miss the miracle within that morning? What, what would you say for us to be reminded that this day is, in fact, a gift? Do you have an alarm clock? I do. Does that My, my children up? when I'm in town and uh, my phone <laughs> when I'm out of town. So I have an alarm cough. And if I am horizontal for too long, I start coughing and I can't stop. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, you have a choice, whether you are coughing to wake up or you have an alarm clock and your beautiful family running to say, good morning, daddy. Mm -hmm. That is when your miracle is. You can take out of that what you want, but that's the miracle. And that's the reminder. You have met some remarkable people on the journey. And it sounds to me like some of them you feel like you wish you would have been able to articulate and share with them a little bit more of, of how you felt about them. Share a story of a time when you, uh, when you missed your chance to share with someone how much you loved them and what you've done with it subsequently, what your encouragement is to the rest of us. I mean, so there's, there's two ways we could go. Do you want somebody who's passed? It could be either one. Your choice. Okay. All right. Um... You know, I'm going to take it a different direction with love because the thing is, is you can't do anything about the thing, the people who have passed. Mm -hmm. You've missed your opportunity. Um, Posting on their Facebook wall does not bring them back. But you can do things about the little moments every day. So, for example, I'm a 30-year-old feisty Scorpio. So I sometimes regrettably may have a temper little one of course i'm perfect but you know your if boy I by the way her boyfriend's with us yeah, live because uh, anyone's curious <laughs> and he's nodding his head profoundly as she talks about the temper so yeah. continue um on. yeah the feisty woman you know you got to be to survive the things you've survived right. right like 
don't tell me you're not feisty. We know you've got a spirit. And, you know, it's the little moments where he brings home the wrong type of milk. Like, I told you that I needed almond milk. Why are we here with whole fat red gallon? Like, this is horrible for your body. Um, and you get mad and you're just like, can you do anything right? And when you have that, that blip, and it doesn't matter if it's milk or something more serious, we're, we're playing shallow for a little bit, but that is your moment where you go, you know what? It's just milk. Mm-hmm. I might not see you in a month. Does milk really matter? You know, and that's, that's to me the moments that I, I treasure and I try to get myself out of that state as quick as possible. Or, you know, when you meet somebody after you speak and they tell you your life story and you're still thinking about like, well, can we go over here to talk so that way it's quieter? But what you should do is be like, you know what? No, tell me what's going on. Right. I'm here for you. Is it those little moments every day that you have that opportunity and you miss it. What surprised you most now that you are a professional speaker, you're on the road a, a, a bit, in a in conversation with someone afterwards, what story or what impact surprises you most about the story you're not sharing? Yeah, for me, the, the most transformative moment <coughs> was um, there was an executive and he didn't, he didn't look like he was into my speech at all. I thought he was just going to get up and walk out. And he pulls me aside later on. This was at a, a corporate event, not necessarily a speech. And he came up to me and he's like, I'm in the middle of divorce with my wife. And I made a call. I talked about, you know, what it was like on our first date. We've reconnected. And they're, they're now still married, even though they were in the middle of divorce. And just to know that the words and the actions we have can change marriages. You know, if it can change a marriage, it can scale a company. You know, and that, that to me the most powerful moment I've ever had. Well, I, I would even flip it. If it can scale a company, it could change a marriage. And I think it's yeah. very cool that, that one by one, you're having a profound impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you shared with us four aspects of happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. Without unpacking each one of them in great detail, just share with us kind of bullets. Walk, walk us down the path of one by one by one. What are these four aspects? So perceived control, first one. And this basically means choose your thoughts, choose your situation like you do the clothes out of your closet every morning. (laughs) Um, What can you control about a moment? What can you do? And find the power in that. The second one is perceived progress. And this means you've got your goal and you're actually doing something for it. You are not waiting for one day because, listeners, one day never comes, okay? Um, The third one is connectedness. So these are things like stop connecting to Wi-Fi and start connecting to each other. You know, like there's a difference between telling somebody I love you if you live with them and you tell them that probably every day, right? Mm. If you've got a good, happy relationship, you're like, I love you. But there's a difference between saying I love you and I love the way you care so much to even stop at the grocery store to bring me home milk. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not what I wanted, I love that you took that out of your time and you care enough about me to make something I want happen when I could have just as easily gone. Mm-hmm. That's a connection. And then the fourth one is vision or meaning. So this is when you've got your goals, but you can detach from your goals and bring it to a bigger purpose and a bigger why and a bigger realization. You, you <coughs> did a beautiful job sharing those four, gave stories and data around each. And I'm only going to call out one because I just love the, uh, the research around it, but perceived control. And you shared a story about uh, lottery winners and I believe quadriplegics. Yeah, and the research. To, Talk, share with our listeners yeah. a little bit around that research and what it means to them. So I think it's a Harvard research. All my research, I think, comes from HBR. 
1978, they study a bunch of lottery winners. There's 22 control group members, 22 people who didn't win the lottery. And then I believe there were 28 paraquadriplegics. And they studied the, the relative happiness of each section. And by the way, the, the, the paraquadriplegics, it was a sudden event, and so was winning the lottery. They didn't know it was going to happen. It wasn't a long-term illness thing where it was going to happen. And they studied the relative happiness six months before the event and six months after. And what they found was the lottery winners were no happier six months after winning the lottery than they were six months before. And mm. they found that the paraquadriplegics were not as unhappy as they expected to be. The happiness levels reverted to their default setting. And their default emotional setting is the patterns in which they've been, they've been raised and they've cultivated to live their lives. So even becoming a multi-multi-millionaire overnight is not going to change your level of happiness. Losing your limbs is not going to change your relative amount of happiness. You're going to go to your default setting. So Kaylin, knowing that, I mean, if, by the way, if you hear that and it doesn't move you and stir you, uh, hit rewind about 46 seconds, listen again, and be moved, be stirred, and then listen to my next question, which is, <coughs> so knowing that now, and knowing that we have default settings of satisfaction and, and happiness and gratitude in life, what, what do we do to elevate that, that standard then, to have a new baseline that's a little bit better today than it was yesterday? Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, you go to YouTube and you find this speech that we uh, did today, because it's gonna walk you through the four different components. So your progress, your control, your connectedness, your vision and meaning. But the thing where most people mess up is, they're making their progress, they're connecting, they're, they're, they're sharing love, they control their thoughts. You know, when the moments of the milk happens, they're able to say, I don't know why I keep referencing milk, I don't even drink she's it. She's drinking milk continuously um, while she talks. It's the weirdest gosh. thing. It's <laughs> almond milk, I don't drink almond milk, but she apparently does. Yeah, I actually don't, that's what's funny about it. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's controlling your thoughts and you've got your vision meaning, so you're doing everything right and you're like, yeah, why am I not happy? Well, the reason is, is because there's different types of happiness. Those are the four principles that can build the foundation. But then we get into the different types. And these are things like, you know, the, the pleasure is like getting mm -hmm. roses and flowers. And we talk about that. And then there's the passion. And this is your state of flow. So why you do the podcast, why you speak, why you write books, why you are you, John. Mm -hmm. And then the third kind is that purpose. And that's why you do it for the bigger cause. And most people spend their entire lives doing all of this stuff and trying, but they can't figure out. I just had a guy in the hall come up and share. He's like, I, I thought I was happy, but I know something's missing in your talk. Figured it out for me. Because he's chasing the things like money and cars. And, you know, some people are chasing their, their spouse, you know, or like trying to get married because they're single and they're, they're unfulfilled. What you need to be doing is chasing your purpose first. And then everything else will fall into place. And your passion will come out of your purpose. And then you can afford and you can do the pleasure thing. Mm. Uh, something you mentioned was uh, if you're seeking that purpose or you're seeking that next step, rather than uh, kind of vaguely sitting back, reflecting, move. Yeah. Just step. You are not a tree. You can move. Yes. Act, yeah. act on that. Yeah. For those listening right now who are struggling financially or in a relationship or a lack of relationship or in their own health crisis, what advice do you hope they hear from this interview? Like what? If you're struggling yourself right now as a listener, what would you say to them? It is the quote on the first page of my book. A bird sitting on a branch is never afraid of the branch breaking because its faith is not on that branch, but on its own wings. Let's talk about those wings and that faith. When, when that branch breaks, mm -hmm. the, the greatest, best kept secret in all of our lives is that we're terminal. 
Yeah. None of us know it. My 96-year-old grandmother, who I just love, Caddy, she doesn't know. <laughs> no, none of us really keep that end in mind as generally as we go through the day. You do. Between the three hours of treatment and the coughs and uh, the struggles, you know it's the limb is breaking. Mm-hmm. What, what allows you to keep the faith and keep the smile and, and uh, keep the wings as that branch breaks? I'm outside of myself and under the world. Honestly, honestly, that's so it. And I never thought I'd even be at that point. You know, at some of my lowest points, I couldn't see it. But I do everything I do because a portion of everything goes back to the patients and the families struggling with cystic fibrosis. And maybe this is, this is my interpretation, right? But I feel that there is a reason I've survived. And I don't think that reason is so that everybody can know Kaylin, but it's for the work that I do to serve the ultimate purpose. And I'm gonna explain it a little differently. I had a lady once ask me, you know, what's it gonna be when you're 90 and you're sitting around and, you know, that stereotypical question, like who's gonna be around you and what's it gonna matter? And is Mm -hmm. your life gonna matter? And she's asking me all these questions. I'm like, girl, you don't even get it. I'm not gonna live to 90. Uh, Like do your research. And she's like, yeah, but what if you were? And I was like, shut up. Like now I'm annoyed, right? That Scorpio's coming out. And she's like, Kaylin, what if you lived to 90? And the only thing that came up, and mind you, I hated her at this moment, but the only thing that came up was that would mean I've made enough of an impact in the world to cure my own disease. (laughs) And when I had that realization, that branch can break all day long because it's not about me anymore. I have a friend named Augie, we'll just use his first name, who has Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, like you, he believes uh, that he will live, that he will survive, and that eventually it's going to be called Augie's Cure. Aww. So uh, I look forward to having Kaylin's Cure and uh, having a cup of coffee or beer with you. I'll be 90, I'll be older, I'll be 100 plus at that point, but uh, I'll party with you at that point. We'll drink all my milk together. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'll bring you, the Baileys. Final question before we flip into um, what we call the Live Inspired Seven. Mm. You, mentioned, uh, you mentioned during your conversation <laughs> with the audience today live that when you are a patient, that you don't like to be seen as a patient. Nope. You don't like to wear patient clothes. You don't like to Never let did. your hair get all grimy and grubby. You don't like to play the role of a sick person when you are a sick person. Tell me why that is. So I remember when I was a kid, true story. Um, I was at a college and uh, my parents were having me teach other parents to teach their kids how to take their enzymes, um, which enzymes are um, digestive food, um, digestive pills that you eat so you can digest food. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was awkward. Okay. And uh, this one parent and her kid comes up to me and they were like, oh, we're so sorry you have this disease. And I don't know where this came from, but I go, it's not a disease. I'm just a little sick right now. And I was like, it's a temporary cough. (laughs) And they were like, no, honey, you're in denial. You have a disease. It's called cystic fibrosis. That's what you talk about. Like it's terminal. And I was like, nope, I just cough sometimes. And I just like was in total denial. And... For me, I think that that was one of the most powerful transitions also is like, yeah, we all are terminal, but when you get past that, because like if you're terminal and I'm terminal, there's no difference. Like we're right. a clean slate. So it's only what you can do. And for me, it was like, no, I just cough a lot. And even to this day, it still feels weird when I take a stage and I say like, I have a disease. I'm like, no, I just cough a lot. Like it, it's kind of interesting for me to see that dynamic. Well, like you, I, I, I never... Uh ascribe to the idea of me being a burn victim. I was just going to say. Because I'm not, man. I talk sometimes about being burned, but the reality is my life has very little to do with enduring some flames in the past or some struggles today. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. 
And I, I highly doubt you consider yourself a victim. Far from it. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit into what we call the Live Inspired 7. We have our guest, Kaylin Ellsbury. She uh, rocked the stage today. We are recording this live just behind the stage. So you hear some music that we're going live right now on a, on a phone in front of me. And uh, you have the opportunity to listen to this uh, in your cars, poolside, at your office. We're glad you are. But Kaylin, what is the best book you've ever read? Darren Hardy, Compound Effect. For those who uh, have not read The Compound Effect, what was the essence of that? What's the main takeaway? Where you are heading right now will continue to snowball throughout your entire life. If you do not like the trajectory of your life in which you are heading, change it now. Hit rewind on that, listen to it again, and heed the advice. Great advice. What's the one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl that you wish you possessed and modeled uh, as brightly today? Ah, that's a great, wow, you with your questions. Um, I was five, six, we'll say, and I was in a red wagon, and my little brother was pushing me around, and I was saying, don't push me that way, go that way, and there's a video of me basically telling him he's doing his job wrong. Fast forward, I act a little tough, but I'm kind of a pushover now, (laughs) and I think it's positive for women, especially women in business, or women who are aspiring to things, or people who have a story, whether it's cystic fibrosis or in your situation, being burned to own their power, appreciate it, and not be afraid to use it. Hmm. And I think I've forgotten a little bit of that lesson. Well, you were in the wagon today. I thought you owned the power of the story. And uh, you scared your brother, I'm sure, as a little one. You scared me today with how much power you still have because it it is on display. It's very attractive in the best sense of that word. If your home caught fire and all living things are out... (coughs) Okay. okay, family, friends, pets. You have an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What would you grab? I'm not trying to go deep here, but I, I'm not running back in. I don't care. Like, I, I don't, there was not, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like the most emotional item or something I care about. I don't need any of it. None of it matters. And I'm not even trying to go deep. I'm just like, nothing came to mind. That's perfect. Nothing's important. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day in sunny San Diego, I believe that's your hometown, have a long conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to spend that day with? John O'Leary 2.0, let's do it. (laughs) Come on, dude, why wait? I'll fly your way next. Yeah. What's the best advice you've ever received? You suck. What did it mean to you and what here's does it why, mean to here's you? Here's why, here's yeah, why, right. here's why. So every single time somebody tells me that I have messed up or that I did something wrong, um, my very first speech that I tried to do, I got some advice that was, You're, this is horrible, this is terrible. And uh, this speech right here, I was so proud of it. And they told me, not a chance, you're not going on stage with it. Mm-hmm. And that hurts, man. Like to be told that your pride and joy that you've put months into is horrible. But you know what? That's your crucible that we talked about earlier. And you come out of it 10 times better than you ever were. So I think the most powerful advice is when somebody loves you enough mm. to tell you you are messing up. Well, people must love me a lot then because I hear it all the time. <laughs> and I will tell you as a speaker, anybody who puts themselves out there is yelled at and told they suck. Yeah. The courage then that needs to be modeled not only as a speaker but as a leader in life, all of our listeners, is to have the 
wisdom to hear you heed that advice yeah to internalize it to move on it and to be better because of it so uh, i don't think you suck i think you're awesome but I, i understand what you're saying two questions left what would you tell your 20 year old self Gosh, I'm trying to think of where I was. I was in, um, I was in community college, um, a lot of fun, Iowa. And you are more capable than you have any clue. Mm. You are more capable than you have any clue. Yep. Kaylin Ellsbury, survivor and thriver, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? And she's still laughing. (laughs) Kaylin, still laughing, still leading, still reminding us that uh, we're all terminal. But now we get to have a choice of uh, whether or not we choose to embrace the miracle, the gift of our lives each day. You are a model of this. I'm inspired by it. And we appreciate you spending part of your day with us. Absolutely. It's an honor. Such an honor. My friends, that is Kaylin Ellsbury. This is John O'Leary. And my friends, this is your day. Don't miss it. Live inspired. Thank you. Did we just become best friends? Mm-hmm.